Hi, welcome to the Charlotte Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message and that it both encourages and inspires you. Well, here we are. A week to Christmas. That's crazy, right? We pulled off our carols weekend. That was great. Uh, we deal with everything. We dealt with the cyclone. 42 degree heat at one point. I said to uh, Pastor Caitlin, Pastor Matt, welcome to Queensland. Uh, you know, uh, you thought 25 was hot. It gets hotter. Um, so I'm just going to bring a short word, and then we're going to sing one more carol, and then you can start eating your trifle and your Christmas cake early. Uh, you have my pastoral permission to do that. It's allowed. Don't worry about the calories. You will sweat it off. I can guarantee. I actually weighed myself last night. I lost weight this weekend, which is fantastic. And for those worried, don't worry. I will rectify that in the next eight days. Um, I was thinking if Netflix were to make a Christmas series. They were to make a series. They've got all these kind of award-winning series. If they were to make one about Christmas, there's so many fascinating storylines they could go down. There's one storyline that I think they would definitely pick. It's not often preached about at Christmas time. It's not often talked about at Christmas time, but it is a Christmas part of the story. It's not often talked about because it's a bit more brutal. It's a bit more cutthroat. It's a bit more political than other parts of the Christmas story. But it is absolutely gripping. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read a few verses. I'm just going to preach two short points because it's too hot to preach 12 points. Praise God for that. Um, And uh, then we are going to sing another carol and then go home and eat some trifle. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. It's a part of the Christmas story. It's on the side screens, or I'll read it to you. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time that the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for this child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. And after this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over a place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And after the wise men had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Well, there you go. That's an interesting story. But the thing is about Christmas story that people don't often realize is this stuff actually happened. This is historical fact. So we know lots of different things. For example, we know lots of different historical facts about mangers. We know lots of different historical facts about journeys from one place to another and what that would look like and the kinds of animals they would use and the kinds of heat that they would have to navigate. Uh, We understand lots of historical details about censuses and kings and we know lots of historical information about Bethlehem as a town, right? But we also know a little bit about King Herod too. Now, 
King Herod, according to historians, who, by the way, King Herod, that was his title, but he preferred that people called him Herod the Great. Uh, If you were around him, that was his preferred title, Herod the Great. Um, King Herod, he was cruel. He was power hungry and he destroyed anyone who he thought was trying to topple him. He murdered a whole bunch of his family because they thought they were, he thought they were in a plot that were trying to get him. And he thought, well, we need to resolve that. So let's get rid of them. And so when a group of wise men or scholars come to Jerusalem, shortly after Jesus is born, they ask a question. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? In other words, not you. You're not the king. Where's the actual king of the Jews being born? They added something else. They said, where's the newborn king of the Jews? Uh, And then they said, we saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, this type of worship historically was typically reserved for kings of kings. So people like Pharaoh in Egypt or Caesar in Rome. And the idea was that they were elevated above every other king. So it didn't matter if you were a king or if you were a prince or if you're a scholar or if you're a wise man. You would turn up and you would present gifts to them. And then you would bow down and you would worship them. You're sending the message, I know that I'm important, but you're way more important than me. I know I'm a leader, but you're a leader of leaders, and I bow to your authority even at that very, very young age, right? And so on top of that, you wouldn't send somebody in your place. If the prime minister wanted to come to your house for dinner, depending on your political views, you might do this, but you probably wouldn't send someone in your place. We can't send someone to church for us. We don't say to somebody else, hey, can you come and worship on the third row for me? I'm going to go fishing. We know that the presence of Jesus is so important that we have to go ourselves and bow and worship him. So the same thing, they go themselves. And so when Herod hears this, that there's wise men who are carrying gifts, who intend to bow before an authority that's greater than his, he freaks out out he is afraid he thinks rather logically that this newborn king of the jews is actually going to take over his place on the throne and so he wants to do exactly what he's done every other time with anybody else that tried to threaten his throne he wants to kill them now he comes up with his clever plot he lies to them about oh yeah i want to worship him too yeah i'm a religious guy let's do all this stuff together but the reality is obviously he is a liar and god has to intervene by warning the wise men and then eventually warning joseph so that jesus can grow up safe and sound. Now, I know some of you are thinking, fascinating story, Phil. Appreciate that you've shared it. What is the point? The point is this. This story speaks about the power of insecurity. Herod was incredibly insecure, and he allowed his insecurity to get to him. He was willing to kill little baby Jesus because he was insecure. He was threatened. He felt his role as king was threatened, right? The funny thing is Jesus wasn't even going to do that then. And also deeper than that, if you allow insecurity and fear and the feelings that that brings to take over your life, what happens is you will always come against the plans of God, which is what Herod did. Insecurity ruins families. Insecurity ruins marriages. It ruins workplaces. It ruins so much more. Now, I know you're thinking, fascinating stuff, Phil. But why is it in the Christmas story? Isn't Christmas all about warm and fuzzy stuff? What's that doing there? But if you think about it, insecurity often takes center stage at Christmas time, doesn't it? There's that fight over who's going to host a family dinner. Who knows what I'm talking about? 
There's that uncle that acts like he's just a little bit too successful, but we all know he's not successful because he feels insecure and has to parade himself. Who knows what I'm talking about? There's that person who's way too controlling of people in the family. Come on, give us a wave if you know what I'm talking about because of their own insecurities and we have to tell ourselves to keep a good spirit. Oh yeah, they mean well, they mean well, they mean well, but they, you know, they don't mean that well. They actually just mean to be controlling because deep down they're insecure. Who knows what I'm talking about, right? Insecurity. Now it kills parties, it kills atmospheres, but it also has an ability to kill people's Christmas experiences, right? And so how do we deal with that? How do we deal with insecurity? The good thing is this particular story actually gives us a blueprint for how we can tackle insecurity. Not a deep dive blueprint, but it gives you what you need to do to get through Christmas time, which is what they had to do. So I'm just going to share two small points and then we're going to sing one more carol. So first of all, how do you deal with other people's insecurity? Give us a wave if you've got some insecure people in your world, not you. So there's like a third of the hands and the other two thirds of people. I don't want to say what that makes you. But anyway, um, two points. Number one, everyone say number one. To deal with insecurity. Number one, see what's above the star. See what's above the star. See, people are the way they are for a reason and they do what they're going to do for a reason, right? And it's easy to fall into a trap of arguing about the perfect way to finish a pavlova or um, why that random cousin that you barely wanted at the Christmas party turned up and brought a plus one um, or why that boss is trying so hard to be one of the boys when clearly they're not. And and we get so worked up over things that in 10 years' time actually isn't even going to matter, right? I mean, who cares how you finish the pavlova? I mean, you should finish it with, with a peppermint crisp graded over the top of it but if you have another way of wrong way of doing it that's fine too you know it's not going to matter in 10 years um who cares if you start eating without that mate that's always 90 minutes late to every single party give us a wave if you know someone that you know if the party starts at one you got to tell them it starts at 11 and be on time right so that they turn up on time yep some people are like that actually person that's me i love the honesty that's great um who cares if you got to pretend for one work party that you actually like your boss see King Herod couldn't see above the star. He couldn't think bigger, but with God's help, we can think bigger. Because you know what's above the star? The bigness of space. If you zoom way out and you take a look at your situation from that perspective, it shifts the way you think. Because often the stuff that we argue about is not worth arguing about. In fact, some of the stuff we get annoyed about isn't even worth getting annoyed about at Christmas time. But we get so caught in the small picture that we miss the big picture. We need to learn to see above the star, right? Yeah, but Phil, they need to change. I agree. There's people in my family that need to change too. Not my immediate family, they're perfect. But some of my extended family definitely need to change. I'm glad it's not being recorded, right? But you know what? It's probably not our job to change them. And even if it is our job, maybe Christmas lunch in front of everybody and five random ring-ins that I'm not sure why are there, maybe that's not the moment. Maybe we need to see above the star. Maybe we need to think a little bit bigger than that. I know someone's going to say, yes, but Phil... I have to say something. Do you? Really? I ask myself this question to to make sure that I'm looking at things from above the stars perspective. In 10 years' time, will this matter? And if the answer is no, then I don't need to say something. I don't need to say something. In 10 years' time, will that random... I know he brought his girlfriend and he's got a new girlfriend every three weeks. But in 10 years' time, is it really going to matter? 
No. So why have the argument? In 10 years' time, whether the party's at this person's house or that person's house, is it going to matter? No. So why have the argument? Why ruin families over little things that don't actually matter? See above the star. That cooking issue in 10 years' time is not going to matter, so think big and choose peace. That conversation won't even be remembered in 10 years' time, so think big and choose peace. See above the star. If you believe it, say amen. Herod couldn't do that. The wise men did. They didn't even come back to argue with Herod. They just left. So be like them, be smart, think big, see what's above the star. But what's above the star isn't the only thing that Herod got wrong because of his insecurity. He didn't just get that wrong. No, no, no. He, he, he couldn't think big, yes, but he also couldn't think small. He couldn't focus on his own heart, right? He was stuck in the middle where he like thought big, than the small situation and thought smaller than the big situation. My second and last point, everyone say, number two, see what's under the star. See what's under the star. Yeah, but Phil, who's under the star? You and I, us. We are under the star, right? So we've got to think about ourselves, our hearts. You've got to ask ourselves sometimes, are we being triggered by their behavior because of the way they are, or we've been triggered by their behavior because of the way we are? Is it actually our insecurity? Are we maybe insecure and don't even realize it, right? Um, is it really frustration or insecurity that's speaking? Do we have to win every single argument? Do we have to be the best in the room? You know, what was Herod going to think if the wise men didn't come back and didn't tell him what he wanted to know? The wise men didn't care. You know why? When, the, when Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, personally invites you to his house via a divinely appointed star, who cares what King Herod thinks? They, they were able to follow what's in their own heart, see what's under the star. What would Herod think of Joseph as he tucked away baby Jesus and escaped? He didn't care. Why? When the Lord God himself appears to you in a dream, who cares what Herod thinks, right? And the secret to beating your own insecurity is to remember that the only opinion that really matters this Christmas is Jesus' opinion of you. And you know what Jesus thinks of you? He thinks the world of you. He absolutely loves you. His heart skips a beat when he thinks about you. He thought you were worth dying for. He thought you were worth being born for in a manger with the animals and everything else. Jesus values you. Jesus loves you. Jesus knows you inside and out. He loves the way you laugh. He loves the way you cry. He loves the way you've stayed strong in those tough moments. Jesus adores you. And the truth is, when that's real for you, does it really matter if somebody thinks your pavlova is better than this pavlova? Not really. Does it really matter if you win every game of trivia on Christmas afternoon with that guy that we know Googles and cheats the answers? No, it doesn't really matter. Does it really matter if you win backyard cricket? No, it doesn't. Because if Jesus rates you, who cares what everybody else thinks? If you believe it, say amen. See what's under the star. That's why the Christmas story plays out the way it plays out. I'll get the band back up. Shepherds get invited and wise men get invited from the most ordinary to the most extraordinary. The point that Jesus makes is that everybody is invited, not just Jesus, not just important people, all of us, right? What's more is he's not just inviting us to celebrate his birth, 
he's inviting us to celebrate his death as well because that's the whole point like pastor krista was saying of why jesus is here you know the issue wasn't that an insecure ruler was going to kill jesus it's just that it was 33 years too early because in the end an insecure ruler did kill jesus only they didn't get 15 minutes of fame they got three days of fame and he rose again and he proved the point that he proved on Christmas as well, which is that ultimately Jesus authors his own story. Insecurity does never have the last laugh when Jesus is at the center of story. Now, I don't know what you're going through this Christmas. I don't know what kind of family drama you got going on, what kind of financial issue you got going on, what kind of health issue you got going on, the devil running rampant in your life, targeting your insecurities. I'm here to tell you that when Jesus is at the center of the story, both on Christmas Day and on the cross, he overcomes every insecurity that everybody else has, and he can overcome every insecurity that you have as well. That's one of the morals of the Christmas story. So don't just get dragged down by the people around you this Christmas and their little insecurities. Maybe you'll deal with it, maybe you won't. Just, just let some of that stuff slide. And I know it's hard, but we have to learn to see above the star, to think big, to have a big picture and just leave things in the hand of God. Let Him author the story in your family. Let Him author the story in your circle of friends. Let Him author the story in your workplace. Or maybe as you think about it, you're like, actually some of that stuff you said was I think about me. Maybe I'm Maybe I'm part of the issue. Maybe it is my insecurity. That's okay. Learn to see what's underneath the star. Don't focus on what other people think about you. Focus on what Jesus thinks about you. The author and the finisher of your faith, right? Because he's, he's able to move powerfully and wonderfully and mightily. Here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to take communion, which I know some of you are like, what, like communion right now? Yeah, we're going to take communion. Because this is living proof that no matter how many times Jesus battled insecurity in others, He was able to overcome it. And no matter how many times you got to battle insecurity this Christmas with friends, with family, with workmates, maybe even when you're on your own and nobody else is around, maybe that's where the real battle is, the under the star battle that you actually hold the keys to sin and death right here. That because of the power of not just His birth, but His death, you can overcome every single insecurity. He died for our sins. He died for our sicknesses. And He died for our ability to overcome every single insecurity. And maybe it feels like for a few days, insecurity is winning. Well, I got to tell you, I've read the story of Calvary. After three days, when it looks like insecurity had won, Jesus flipped the script. He overturned the story and he won in the end. And maybe it might feel like you went to that Christmas party last week. You looked at that health report, that thing, and all your insecurities are tied up in that. I'm here to tell you that the story isn't over yet. Leave it in the hands of Jesus. He holds the typewriter and he will write a happy ending this Christmas. So why don't you peel open little communion things. If you haven't got one of those, just raise a hand and our ushering team will do our best to get one for you. I'm going to pray and then we're going to take our communion. Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you that you've overcome everything there is to overcome on the cross. That yes, you were born and we celebrate that. And as you were born, there was an insecure ruler who wanted to end your life. But you overcame that. So that 33 years later, when it looked like an insecure ruler would have the upper hand and win, you could overcome that again too. 
Jesus, we thank You that You are the great overcomer the great I am. There's nothing we face this Christmas that you don't have control over. There's no health situation, no financial situation, no family situation. There's no bout of loneliness. There's no sin issue. There's nothing we face, Lord Jesus, that you can't overcome. If you can overcome it as a baby, you can overcome glorified sitting on the throne right now. I thank you that your word says, if two or three are gathered together in my name, I'll be with them. God, we don't have to go to Bethlehem. We don't have to go to a manger. Jesus, you're here, right here and right right now, able to overcome everything that we face this Christmas. We're not alone, Lord Jesus, like the wise men in the presence of the King. We sit in Your presence, Lord Jesus. And I declare that You have the power to overcome every need, every obstacle, every issue in our life. I declare that insecurity will not rule people's Christmases. It won't rule their own hearts. It won't rule any issue that they face. So we thank You for being born and we thank You for dying. We thank you for being rose and risen again, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen. When you're ready, you can take the emblems. I am thank you for joining our podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. You can connect with us at shilohchurch.com.au.